Gracias por sintonizar nuestro podcast. Te habla tu servidor, el Pastor Mario. Esperamos que este mensaje te anime, te desafíe y hable a tu corazón. Disfrútanos. First and foremost, church, I want to say good morning to all of you here today. I want to say good morning to those of you that are watching through Zoom. And good morning, good afternoon, good evening. For those of you that are listening to the podcast, whether it's here, um, I was looking at the, um, the uh, analytics for our podcast. Apparently, there's some audience in, um, I think it's Belgium. You have a couple of downloads and listens from Belgium. Um, I don't know how to speak that language, but thank you for listening. English, awesome, great. Um, I, th I thought that was pretty cool um, that somehow, you know, somebody out there is listening, finding our content, which is great. Uh, again, if you don't listen to the podcast, please do so. Listen, download, go over, share it, do whatever you need to to get the word of the Lord out there for all those in need. Oh, man. So it's Sunday morning. It's birthday weekend for the church. Amen. Yeah. 17 years old. We're almost legal in the United States. We're all, well, technically in Texas, we actually are an independent um, entity. So way to, way to go, GCP. I was 12 years old when we officially launched the church. Uh, 12 years old, knew nothing about anything. Um, you couldn't see me behind the drum set when I would play. But I was there doing it, and it's, it's crazy how it's been 17 years. Yeah. 17 years. Christian was what? You were 15, right? When we, 14. He was, he was shorter. He was a lot shorter than he, than he is today. He had long, curly hair. Oh, we missed that hair, man. You should bring it back. I, I think you should bring, bring back the long hair. I think it'd make everybody happy. <laughs> oh, man. It's been... There, I could spend all morning just talk, talking about stories from the last 17 years. Um, where we were as a church, as far as the people, where we were as a church, as far as our theology and our doctrine, um, where, where we were as, you know, I was, I was 12 years old. I, um, I was still in middle school, uh, transitioning to high school. Um, Fernie was still here. Yeah, I was, I was about Leo's age when everything started. Uh, so many things have changed in 17 years. I mean, we, we look at that number and we say, oh, man, life is so different. I, I, I always tell Wendy, you would not have liked me if you had met me in high school. We, I, I thank the Lord that we were not together in high school um, because I was a completely different person. And this morning, um, the Lord said on my heart, it's been, this week was just crazy. It was a very, very um, crazy week for me personally, dealing with work and, you know, being a father of two under two or two uh, kids, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good dad, trying to be a good teacher, and trying to be a good coach, and trying to be a good pastor. It was just a, a really crazy week, but we're here, best day of the week, Sunday morning. We're alive, we're well, and the Lord had put on my heart a couple of things, and I was just trying to narrow it down, and I believe that this is what He 
placed in my heart today. And Father wants to talk to us about a change of heart. A change of heart. It's something that we've witnessed happen to many. Some of you have experienced it in parts. And I, I, I just want to quickly touch on why the image looks the way that it looks. So we see a heart. And a lot of us have gotten used to the idea that a heart that is hardened is healthy. It's normal, I should say. But underneath the heart of stone is the heart that the Lord created, which is a heart of flesh, a heart that feels, a heart that can sense and perceive and receive and pour out and give and do so many things. But a heart of stone is nothing but a rock that is used to hurt and damage. And I want to tell you this morning, church, that as a church, as a group of believers, we are in the process of change. If you are the type of person that does not like change, then you are in for a rude awakening. If you are the type of person that resists change, then you are about to be rocked like you've never been rocked before. We're not only changing physically as, as, as our numbers grow, as our um, families change, we're changing inside in our hearts, in our spirits, in who we are. And all of that is happening. Everyone say happening. You can't deny it, but better off, you can't stop it. What Papa is doing in this season, what he is opening, what he is unleashing, there is nothing you can do to stop it. You have all but two choices. Either you just simply let it overtake you or you merely get left behind. But I want to push you today because I think that if I encourage you, you think you have an option. Well, this morning, we're not encouraging anybody. This morning, we're going to all push together. Some, I, I, I started this new thing with Oliver um, every morning or every time I change him, either in the morning or after uh, bath time, because I noticed when he was really little, he didn't like heights. He would look at it, and he would grab onto me kind of tightly. And I, I didn't like that because that's how I was slash am. I'm learning to respect heights less, if we could say it that way. So I have this thing with him where when, when I'm done changing him and I put on his pajamas or his clothes, I sit him on the very edge of his changer, and then I just put my arms behind him without touching him, and I just count one, two, three. And as I'm counting, he's doing this. One, two, and on, and on three, he just jumps. Now, he doesn't know that my hands are literally less than a centimeter away. He can't feel me, but my expectation for him is to merely jump. And in doing that, my goal is to get him to understand that there are things in life that you don't need to fear. And jumping off of something should be something that we as people should not fear. But a change of heart requires a big jump in our nature. I want you to jump with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 12, a very common portion of Scripture. 
the man that started it all, though you and I call him Abraham, but in this section of Scripture, he is not Abraham. He's just merely Abram. It says in Genesis chapter 12, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, your zone of comfort, I add the emphasis, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I will, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. How many of you would leave your house after 75 years? How many of you would leave where, where you have been living for the last 75 years? On the mere instruction of the Lord. I'm not 75 I'm not nowhere near 75. But I can't imagine someone that is 75 years of, of age. Can you imagine the roots that they may have in that place? The friendships, the memories, the, all of the nostalgia, everything that they've built up for 75 years. And in one instance, the Lord says, move. He doesn't say where. He just says, go to the land that I have told you. And what I love about it is that Abraham listens to the instructions of the Lord. He listens to what the Lord will do based off of his obedience. And from verse 3 to verse 4, Abraham simply says, it, the word says, so Abraham went. Not Abraham asked his wife, honey, what do you think we should do? He didn't talk to his workers. Hey, are you, are, are, are you guys okay with this leaving? The word simply says, so Abram went. Jump to the book of Genesis, chapter 17. So many things happen in five chapters, but I, I don't want to spend too much time in that. Genesis 17 then says this, verse 1 through 5, when when Abram was 99 years old, how old? 99. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be a father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. In the beginning, Abram was 75. And God promises him, to be that, that he will bless him, that anyone who curses you, Abram, I will curse them. He gives 
Abram this strong declaration. But then 24 years later, everyone say 24 years later, (laughs) the Lord changes something about Abram, and now he is Abraham. How many of us, it, does it, is it a struggle for us to wait 24 minutes? You know, when you go to a restaurant and you don't get waited on in the first five seconds that you open the door, where you automatically get, I get agitated. I'm like, hello, I'm a customer. I should be almost carried to my table. And then you sit down and you're there waiting. Like I tell Wendy, where's the waitress? And it's been literally 24 seconds. But this individual waited 24 years. And the Lord changed in him something that forever affected his future and his purpose and his destiny. In Genesis chapter 24, God takes a man and then 24 years later, he takes the same man and changes his name. Abram was in his comfort zone for so long in his life. He was in the area that he knew. He was moving in the zone that he had already dominated. And then 24 years later, because of his obedience to step out of Haran and move to where the Lord instructed him to go, the Lord says, you can now take the name of Abraham, father of multitudes. It took Abraham 24 years to see the benefit of his obedience. How many of us get upset when we don't see it the first year? Lord, I've been coming to church for one whole year. Where is those things you promised me? Church, I've been... Batteries died. Church, I've been in this for at least 17 years. And in, and in that lapse of 17 years that we've been doing this gente con propósito, this, this, this ministry, I've been promised things along the way. Prophetically promised things. Prophetically declared things over my life. Most of them, haven't seen. Some I have. But others, I'm, I often pray and I ask the Lord, Lord, do, do, do you remember what you told me? Because I have it written down. But do you remember? And I often read the story of Abraham who waited 24 years for one promise. <laughs> 
Now, here's the thing. God does not ask you to leave your, your comfort territory or your comfort zone or the place in which you call home or the place where you have dominated. He doesn't just tell you to leave Haran to see, maybe, if you'll make it. When the Lord instructs you to go from here to there, God calls you out of your comfort zone because God does not abide in there. The Lord does not abide in your comfort zone. I want you to really sit on that. If you are in a position in which everything in your life is comfortable, and nothing requires you to use faith, you are in an atmosphere that is godless. Because God abides in an atmosphere of faith. Because faith is what causes us to believe the evidence of God and the existence of His being. But if you abide in a place, in a territory, in a mindset in which faith is not required to operate, you are living in a godless environment. You follow me? And here's the thing. When I read Scripture, I often see that the people involved in this process of pursuing faith were always called out of a place. The people of Israel were called out of Egypt. The people of Israel were called out of captivity. They were called out of a place in which they had already gotten used to living in. They even would tell Moses, back in Egypt we had... (laughs) Yeah, you had that, but you also got beat 24-7. You also got worked as slaves. Yeah, but we had food! Yeah, but we had shelter. Yeah, but you were slaves. (laughs) Because again, in a godless environment, you, you adapt to godless lifestyles. And I love that I, one of my favorite all time parts of scripture is Peter and Jesus on the water. Because when I read it, I notice that Jesus calls Peter out of the boat. He, 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 he doesn't say, Peter, it's me, believe and stay inside. <laughs> no, Peter says, if it's you, Lord, call me out. So Jesus says, come. But I'm going to touch on that in just a little bit. But Jesus called Peter out of the boat. God calls Moses to tell the Pharaoh to call his people out of captivity. God called Abram out of Haran. Church, the Father is calling us out of captivity, out of our Haran, out under the influence of Egypt. So many of us want Father to move powerfully and mightily and do miracles and surprise us. But we don't, do a, we don't take a single step outside of the boat. We don't even pack 
to leave Haran. But we want God to do this, these things for us. Papa's heart for us, he desires us to be where he is. But see, for us to abide where Papa is requires a change of heart. You cannot function the way you've always functioned and expect a different outcome. Changes are the steps that God puts in front of us to be able to climb into deeper understanding of his love towards us. And in that deeper understanding, it causes us to simply grow closer, intimate, and it causes our understanding to grow. Most people, and I include myself, most of us are afraid of change. Anyone here that's not afraid of change? Why are we afraid of change? If we're very honest, it's the simple what-if factor. What if I don't make it? What if I'm not good enough for that? What if I'm wrong? What if I get fired? What if I can't do this? I mentioned this weeks or months ago at this point, but the biggest and most profound understanding that I've been able to walk in in these last couple of months is the ability to stop myself when, I'm, when my mind goes into hypothetical moments. The devil operates in the hypothetical because it's all based on what? Fear and doubt. A hypothetical is a, is a situation that has not happened, that nobody is saying will happen, but you believe that it's going to happen, so you already start feeling the way you think you would feel in the moment when you have no idea if that's even going to happen. And in that process of doubting and fearing and fearing and doubting, you're afraid, so you doubt. And then that doubt makes you more afraid. And you go into this cycle of what if, what if, what if, what if. It enables you to continuously live in a godless atmosphere, accepting godless lifestyles, mindsets, postures of the heart. But let me remind you of this truth. Everything in life, in this life, in our life, it's about getting closer to the Father. Or it's about us staying behind. When you learn to draw closer to the Father, the hypotheticals go away. Because you no longer allow your mind to function in an atmosphere of doubt and fear. Not that you don't feel it, you merely don't operate out of it. I can feel afraid, but it doesn't mean my response has to be fearful. I can have my doubts, but I know in my convictions that my God is faithful. So I can feel it, but as long as I don't operate out of it, I am living a lifestyle in which faith is the only sustenance that I need. Because again, if in a comfort zone in which you not, never have to hang on to faith, you're living far, far, far away from the Father. 
I want you to ask yourself, when's the last time you actually had to use your faith? When's the last time you actually had to believe, Lord, if you don't do this, I'm toast. I'm done. That's it. If you don't surprise me, I like, I like using that phrase now after Friday. Lord, if you don't surprise me today, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I need a surprise. <laughs> when is the last time that we were put on the ropes and our only option was to trust in the invisible? And a lot of us, we fear change thinking that change may actually hurt us. But let me tell you that change is a mere sign of growth. Everything in our life, if it doesn't change, it doesn't grow. The trees in the seasons, well, not down here in the valley, okay? But I've experienced four seasons in my life before when I lived in Oklahoma. I, the first time that I ever saw a tree that was red and orange, I thought this is, this is the most beautiful thing in the world. When I experienced fall for the first time where I could step outside mid-October and not be drenched in sweat just because I walked to my car, but I had to put on a little sweater because it got kind of chilly around three in the afternoon, and then winter, and then it would snow, and the trees would die, but then would come the spring. And the change in seasons, the, the massive trees never died. No, because they knew how to change. If nature can change and survive, church, why do we think we need to stay the same? And a lot of us have been resisting. And I'm going to include myself because I'm still myself and, and, and wanting to have my heart completely break out of a solid capsule that I've had that I've held on for so long and I'm still in the process but thankfully I've made a couple cracks but we the more that we resist the teaching and the impartation of father's love the more you're going to simply feel left out people feel left out when they no longer understand what's going on Students tell me sometimes, sir, I, I just, I feel like you don't pay attention to me when I, when I need your help. And I tell them, okay, well, you know, why, why do you feel that way? Well, sir, it's because, you know, when I raise my hand for a question, you know, you, I, I, I don't understand your explanation. And I tell them, okay, well, he, here's the thing. When I'm explaining to you, do you pay attention? No. Okay, and... Do you think that has some type of effect? Maybe. Let me explain it to you again, but this time actually focus on, on, on what we're doing. So I explain, and they always do this. Oh. And I ask them, what was the biggest difference? And they say, I'm not, it's, I wasn't paying attention. And when we learn to pay attention, we see, oh. Oh, this is real. This is the truth. But we often resist change because change hurts. Change costs something. Change and changes are the tools that God uses to grow us. 
We experienced this with Oliver and we're getting ready to experience it with Olivia. The teething phase. When babies start to teeth, it is a stressful and emotionally draining experience. Because the baby does not understand why their mouth is swollen, why they can't no longer, why it hurts, why they're uncomfortable, why they get a fever, why they get They don't understand what their body is dealing with. They don't know that what's about to happen is they're about to get a new set of tools to do something that they couldn't do before. But the process of the change requires them to no longer just do the whole, I have gums, I can live on anything, it feels great. But now if they want to transition into eating solid food, they need teeth. If they want to be able to bite and break down what is being given to them, they need a new set of tools. But see, a baby does not understand when it's in the middle of the pain. As is, the babies don't understand pain. This morning, Oliver kicked me somewhere where it hurts a lot as I was changing him. Because he, 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 he tends to kick, and he kicked me somewhere painful. So I gave him a little... Oliver, don't kick me. And he didn't, he looked at me so offended. He looked at me and went, ah, and he just started crying. And I said, oh my gosh, you hit me and you're the one that's crying? Because they don't understand. In the process of correction, we think that we're always the victim. I sat in that chair of the victim mindset for so many years because I always thought my father, would, my father doesn't like me. My father just, and all the other nonsense things that I thought because my mindset was set on the victim mentality. My heart was closed and hardened and I thought myself of a victim. Worst combination for a person to have. If you're dealing with things in your heart and then you think you're a victim of everybody else's opinions or decisions, church, you need help. Believe me, you need help. The good thing is that there's plenty of it. <laughs> help is always close. But in that process of me, when I was growing up, in that process of correction, I never understood it as correction. I always took it as bullying. I always took it as, well, my father just doesn't like me. My mother doesn't have my back. My brothers don't even like me. Everyone thinks I'm annoying. Notice how victims always talk about themselves. They blame everybody else, but they only talk about themselves. So ask yourself, how, how much do I talk about myself? If you can only talk about yourself, maybe you're dealing with a little bit of a victim mentality. But the baby, when they're teething, they don't understand that their gums are literally having to be broken open. Little holes are peeking through. But the joy outweighs the pain. Because once they experience the teething process, guess what? They will forever be able to do something so beneficial, like biting, breaking down food. The bad part is, is when they start biting you. That hurts. I remember a couple of times when Oliver first got his teeth and we'd, he would get things in his mouth that he shouldn't have. 
So we'd stick our fingers like, like smart, wise parents to save the child. And he thought, oh, look, something to uh, bite on. Thankfully, he bit Wendy more than me. But the couple of times that it happened, it's painful. But see, they're learning how to use their new ability. They don't always do it right, but at least they're experiencing with it. The process of change is painful. It's uncomfortable. It will make you cry on your knees. But all of this, tell your neighbor, all of this, serves as a channel for breakthrough in your life. Let me remind you of a truth. If God is processing you, if God is changing you, He is merely getting you ready for breakthrough. The issue is this. We see the change. We like the way the change looks. We just don't want to partake in the change. We want the benefit of the aftermath. We don't want the pain experiences of the process. And that is what the church today is giving. They are selling this message of pain-free gospel. And everyone is welcomed. No one has to do anything. It does, it's not, it's not going to cost you anything. Biggest contradiction to Scripture. Jesus himself says to count the cost. What king goes to war without first counting his troops? Before the change, you were weak in your faith. But because of the process in your heart, of the change that happens when you learn to understand that God is doing something deep in you, your faith was weak, but now your faith is changing. It's evolving. It's stronger. It's real. It wasn't easy, but it's worth it. I mean, I have a lot of stories and a lot of memories in the last 17 years of this place. I can only imagine my parents. When even before we launched the church, we had those small groups on Thursday nights in our home. When people would come and, uh, you know, we'd have the meeting and my thought was only, when is this going to be over so I can play outside with all my, you know, with all my friends? I mean, I was nine years old. But if I have all these memories and all these experiences when, I, when the Lord began to work in me, I was 15 when I gave my, Lord, when I gave my life to, to the Lord. I, was, I had just turned 16 when I, when I gave my first message. And in that process, so many things changed in me. It, was, it wasn't the easiest. It wasn't the most comfortable. It wasn't even the best experiences. But the changes that happened in me in the beginning are the reason why I'm able to stand before you today and tell you, in my experience in the last 17 years, everything that the Lord has done in me has been worth it. We don't have the biggest church? Nope. We don't, we're not known by everybody? Nope. Does that make it not worth it? Nope. Everything that the Lord has done is for a greater reason. 
And a lot of us tend to think that we need a sea change quick and everything needs to happen fast and I want it to be now, 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 now. It doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen in nature, why will it happen to us? A caterpillar doesn't change overnight. When we first bought our house last April, we had a peach tree in the back. And I had never seen a caterpillar in a cocoon before until we actually took time to go outside and look at everything. And there was this little caterpillar in a a cocoon there. We don't know how long it had been there. Sadly, we chopped down the tree before it could hatch. That was Jorge's fault, not mine. (laughs) But a caterpillar can only change into a butterfly if it waits the whole process. The caterpillar doesn't go into that cocoon and say, all right, God, you got 20 minutes. You know, like the, uh, but, like the uh, caterpillar from Bugs Life, the big fat one? Where, you know, but the thing is, is that we want it quick. Lord, we want this place to be filled with people. Church, I've been to big mega churches. You don't want this place to be filled with people. The bathroom lines alone are long and annoying. And who knows if this place is too big or too small for us. But one thing I do know is that change is necessary for your heart to be processed, for your heart to break the mold of its stone likeness. Without a change in your heart or a change of heart, you you will always stay in Haran. You will always be in your comfort. You will always be far from God and you'll always be alone. Ask your neighbor, do you want to be alone forever? I was married. I grew up with both of my parents. I had two older brothers. I'm married and I felt alone. For six and a half years, I felt abandoned. And I grew up with both my parents. I grew up in a family. But for six and a half years, I felt abandoned. So let me reiterate and ask you again, do you really want to be alone? Thankfully, Thankfully, I no longer sit in a chair of isolation. What what the Lord did in my heart a few months ago, because of the book of Sonship, I I can't recommend that book enough. If you are not reading it, something's wrong with you. Read it. Something's almost wrong with you. Almost, almost wrong with you. But all jokes aside, that book... It's, it's not that that book is superior than Scripture, no. But because the, the book is based on Scripture. But what I saw 
through that was almost as if God was telling me specifically, as if somebody else had, was living a parallel life to mine, and I said, wait a minute, they experienced things similar to me, they experienced worse things than me, and Lord, you did that in them? And then when the Lord talked to me and said, are, are you done, Kevin? Are you, are, 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 are you finally done? Can we do this now? When, when, whenever y'all get to chapter four, you let me know. But I'm still in that process of having my heart changed in multiple areas of my life. Just this past Friday, I had a major heart check. This Friday, um, you know, after we, we, we were here in the prayer meeting, we went, you know, prayer was great. I left to go to work and everything. Had a, had a great day at work, successful day. And then, you know, I, I also coach um, vo volleyball. I had two games on Friday, and, you know, we played both games and whatever. It was around 8.30 and almost 9, 9 o'clock about when my other coach that, uh, that is there with me, um, she was on the phone with our athletic director. And she looks at me and says, don't leave, I need to talk to you. And then she left. And I immediately thought, I had to... I had the same feeling I did last year when I got fired from coaching because of my stances on not wanting to wear a mask and simply not, you know, believing in certain things. And students complained about me, so they had to re remove me. And I thought, oh, Lord, here we go again. So I just, I stood there for a little bit. And it was 9 o'clock, and I had to pick up our groceries before HEB -E closed. So I, I uh, texted the, the coach and said, look, I got to go. Just call me, um, and whatever we've got to talk about, we'll talk about. And she said, okay. So I left, and, and I'm driving there, and, and I'm fighting the hypothetical situations. I'm fighting the whole, what if I get fired? What if I lose my job? What if I can't feed my family? What if I lose my house? Because I've had this talk already before, just a year ago, literally a year ago. And I'm there sitting in the car driving, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, Lord, Lord. And then, I, I, and then I, I get the phone call, and it's the director of athletics from my campus. And you can tell in his tone of voice, he says, hey, man, how are you? And I thought, oh. and I said, okay, you know, me internally, I said, okay, Lord, whatever it is, let's do it. It's, it's, it's happening, so let's do it. So then he starts saying, look, man, I just, I want to tell you what's going on. Um, apparently, you are, you are being accused by two girls from the opposing team that you um, called them, and he says this, and he said that this very, very vulgar phrase um, that I won't re repeat for obvious reasons, he said that you called these two girls or, and, or the team this vulgar phrase. And when I heard it, I said, what? And in the split of a second, so many thoughts came into my mind. All those hypotheticals got a little bit more real. I said, teachers have been fired for less than this. Charges have been filed against teachers for similar things like this. And I began processing so many, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm driving on my way to pick up groceries for my family. 
I mean, and I'm, and I'm, and he's telling me, you know, the situation and what happened and all these things, and I, I'm just, you know, almost living in a hypothetical moment at this point. And as he's speaking to me, almost as it's as if this, like, somebody hit mute in the real world. And I heard this calm, like, very masculine but calm voice just tell me, "Remember Joseph." And when, when, when I heard it, it, it like kind of took me back into reality. And, you know, he was still speaking, like calling me and telling me on, on the phone. And then he says this. And he said, look, Kevin, I know for a fact that there is no way on God's green earth that you said these things. I've known you for six years. I've never heard you say one curse word. Man, in fact, I've tried to trip you up so many times to get you to curse, and you've never fallen. I talked to the other coaches. They all tell me the same thing. They've never heard you curse. I talked to the administrator on campus, and she says the same thing, that nobody believes these, this ridiculous accusation against you. So this is what I want you to do, man. I want you to relax. No, I'm not going to fire you. I want you to just enjoy your weekend. I'm going to handle everything. I'll take care of it all. But I want you to know I, I have your back. There's nothing that nobody can tell me that's going to make me believe this crazy, crazy thing. So you have a great weekend. Enjoy it, and I'll see you Monday. And he hung up the phone, and I just kept driving, and I just kept telling myself, what? So then I called my wife, and I told her, and I, I, mean, I was honest. I told her, I'm very upset because, you know, it had been a great day, and Everything was awesome, and, you know, we lost one game, but we won the other, and we were just talking about it, and I told her I, I felt bad because someone would just raise accusations against me. But then that masculine, calm voice told me again, remember Joseph. And, that, and in that moment, I realized it was a heart check. And I said, Lord, thank you for not allowing me to break down in panic. Thank you for not allowing me to go off and get upset and do things and start panicking and letting my mind run wild. And all those hypothetical situations suddenly began just washed away. And this peace just set in my heart. Now, I don't know what awaits me tomorrow. I don't. I don't know what, what they're going to tell me tomorrow. I don't. But I, one thing I can tell you this is for the first time in a very long time, I don't feel afraid. Now, is the situation over? I don't know. But one thing I know is that the Lord has changed one very interesting area in my life in this process of becoming a son, and that is trusting, trusting that He is a man of His word. And Saturday happened, and we had a great Saturday. We, you know, we, we, we met up with Brian and Chelsea. We had lunch. We had a great day, and then best day of the week, Sunday morning. But my heart was checked. Ask, ask your neighbor, how's your heart? How's your heart? 
and then tell them, get ready for a heart check. Suddenly people got scared like, oh man, what's going to happen this week? I don't know. But see, the thing about heart checks is that they own, they're designed to show you where you need to trust the Father. They're designed to show you how much do you really trust me. Honestly, church, after hearing Parthenia's testimony, complaining just feels so wrong. Almost like I feel even almost dirty if I even try to complain about my life. Because I think about it. I haven't lost. I, my my uh, spouse is still with me. I, I have both of my kids. I wasn't, I wasn't diagnosed with a terminal d- disease. Both of my parents are still alive. I have both I have my family. What do I have to complain about? Heart check. Are you spending your time complaining? Are you spending your time criticizing? Well, it's because life's not fair. That's right. <laughs> You think it was fair for Joseph to be thrown into a hole, sold by his own family, and then wrongfully accused, thrown into a bigger hole? You think all that was fair? (laughs) It was needed. The only way for him to reach where he needed to be was to experience a massive heart check. You think Job's life was fair? To have it all and then lose it all? Just because God wanted to show off? (laughs) But we complain because we're tired of working all week and we don't get a day off. I want to sleep in one Sunday morning. (laughs) Part one of the bad parts about being a teacher is I laugh at a lot of my kids' problems sometimes. And they don't always take it the right way, right? They tell me, sir, it's because my life is so hard. I mean, like, I, I ask them, what's wrong? It's because my daddy took away my PS5 for the, for the whole month. I'm like, dude, if, if you were my kid, I'd backhand you right now. Sir, my mom took my phone away for screaming at her, and I called her all these words. I'm like, and that's all your mom did? Girl, oh, man. If you haven't noticed, the world is becoming very emphatically complaintive. Everything is a complaint. My food is 10 degrees too hot. My food is 10 degrees too cold. This is not the color I wanted. This is not the church that I like. The, the, the a preacher preaches in English. The preacher doesn't preach in English. And everything is a reason to complain when in fact everything should be a motive for gratitude because somebody somewhere else is actually experiencing suffering. I see... People show up to, kids show up to work and they grab their free breakfast and they just throw it in the trash. And they say, oh, this food's disgusting. And I think to myself, you have no idea how much that food could have transformed somebody else's life. Just go south of the border. And they complain, it's because it's gross. That is the generation that is being raised up, entitled ungrateful and very resentful 
Be mindful, parents. Be mindful, adults, of the generation that is upbringing the kids around your kids. We live in a world in which unless we start to actively live in the Father's movements, church, we're going to get swept out. We're going to be swept out unless we start living in the Father's movements. Everyone say Father's movements. Now, change is the opportunity for a new experience. You won't, un- you won't understand why somebody else is living a life that is better than yours until you understand what changes had to happen in their lives. You know, we all see, you know, we use Vicente often for an example, like his life completely changed, his business is, is successful. You have no idea what he had to endure to be where he is today. And he's, he's mentioned a couple of times, you know, up here and when, whenever I talk to him. And sometimes I tell him, man, I'm glad that I don't have a business because I would not have, I don't know what I would have done if I, if I go through that. You lived, your, you lived a hard life growing up. And the fact that you're here is like, dude, and all of us in this room, we've all experienced things. But see, unless we learn to see why they happened, we're always going to see the other side. It's not fair. It doesn't make sense. God is out to bully me. Sound like a baby. Go quickly to the book of Matthew, because I got a couple more things I want to say, and I want to finish relatively on time today. Book of Matthew, chapter 14. I mentioned to you about Peter and Jesus. And I want to make sure, I want want to keep myself on that. Matthew 14, verse 25, says the following. It says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out onto the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was, and he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And we know how the story ends. Obviously, Jesus saves him and calls him man of little faith. Why did you doubt? And see, we, we read these, these verses and we always bash Peter for what? For being afraid, for doubting. But I want to challenge your, our judgmental and challenging mindset and ask us this. Would you have dared to step out on the lake? Would you have actually done that very same thing? <laughs> and before you say, oh, of course, of course. Ask yourself, what have you done recently that defies the laws of physics? What have you done that just completely shatters the natural laws set? Then you can tell me you would have walked on water. But I, I, I want to turn our attention, not to Peter this time, but I want to turn your attention to the other disciples. They saw Peter... Or they heard Peter ask Jesus, if it's you, call me. They were there. 
And then they heard the same voice that said, Come. And they saw Peter climb out of the boat and step on the water and walk. The question is, why didn't they follow? That's my problem with this, with, with this story. Why didn't they follow? And that's my question to you this morning. We have heard testimony and we have seen example after example. We've listened to testimony after testimony. We're about to have one on Wednesday of a man that has lost his wife. He himself is struggling with his own health and he's still traveling to be what he's called to be, a missionary. But here is our question. Why haven't we followed their examples? I love the silence. Hopefully it's a convicting silence. Why haven't we followed the examples? And if, and if, if, if you think that I'm telling you, why haven't we followed the examples? It applies to us all. The question is for all of us. We've heard it. We've seen it. There's been testimonies on the experience but we're still watching like spectators. We're still listening, but we're not doing anything. But I want to tell you that even if you have reasons, a reason to avoid the change, there's always going to be 10 more reasons why you should do it. When I was writing that letter to my father, telling him everything, finally opening my heart to him after so many years, every sentence that I wrote, there were voices in my head screaming, stop, don't do it, he's just going to get mad. Every sentence, a different voice, don't say that, he's going to get really mad you never told him. And then my favorite one was, don't do that because he's going to think you're blaming him for everything and it's going to get worse. Every sentence that I would write was a new demon screaming at me, don't do it. And as I fought the tears and I fought back just breaking down, there was something in me continuing to push that says, let's finish this. Don't stop. Open your heart. The father never screamed at me to do it because he wasn't desperate. He wasn't panicking. What was my change and my darkness was desperate, desperately trying to keep me in that hole. And every time that those little words that I would type were words of breakthrough, the demons got more and more nervous because their grasp was finally being lifted. And it wasn't until I hit file, save, that I felt something in my heart just finally unhinge, and I felt the crack. I'd never, if you've never felt a physical crack in your heart, it is a weird experience, but it is weightlifting. For the first time in my life, I felt my shoulders, instead of always being like this, 
my shoulders dropped. And there was this weight on my chest that just, I could finally breathe. Because when your heart gets checked and changed, that is freedom. That is deliverance. Deliverance isn't always just, and in Jesus' name, and we lay our hands and we're doing all these things. That's a form of deliverance. But the deliverance that I know Father wants us to experience is an intimate deliverance. Because when I sat in that office, and I, I didn't know how to do it. I, I told my dad, hey, can I read you something? And he, he was like, read me something. Okay. But in that moment, that was the moment that in my heart for the first time was cracked. And that hard exterior was finally able to be penetrated by Father's love. Is there more in me that needs to be broken? Lord knows it. But here is why I, I tell you this thing. Change causes our deep to call his deep. Psalms 42 mentions deep calls to deep. It's, it's, it, it sounds pretty, but the psalmist in that moment was experiencing hardship, pain, suffering. And, in, and, and I want to read you something out, out of Ezekiel, so turn quickly to the book of Ezekiel with me. I don't want to miss this. I want you to read it. And I want you to read it with a different lens. We've read this before. We've read this section about the temple and the flow of the water. And we've, and we've experienced these verses before. But I want you to look at verse 1 with me. As deep calls out to deep. Ezekiel 47 verse 1. Ezekiel 47 verse 1 says this, The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. But I want us to notice this phrase that I had never noticed before with this lens. Under the threshold of the door. One thing that I love about heaven is that it always moves to the lowest places. Papa's presence moves in the lowest places. The places in my heart that I'm ashamed of, that I'm afraid in, that I'm troubled by. Heaven flows in the areas of great brokenness. Why did the water flow through the threshold? Why didn't it flow above or through the windows or over the roof? Why did it flow through the lowest part? As we learn to open our hearts and as we learn to be humble, it is his life and his love that pour into my heart in the lowest places. Your lowest places are covered. Our deepest places are covered by his deepest places. He, the depth of his heart, the depth 
of the desire for us, the depth of his love, the depth of his acceptance, the depth of his forgiveness, the depth of his embrace, that deep, that's what our deep calls out to. Where you're ashamed, where you're embarrassed, where you're insecure, where you're hurting, it calls out to his deep. And I love, love what Isaiah says when he tells us to forget the former things. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. To see that I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Why does it, why does it spring up? Because it comes from the depth. It comes from the lowest point. As parents, as future parents, don't allow your children to grow with hearts of stone. Don't enable your children to grow up thinking that a hardened heart is normal. If your child fears vulnerability with you, repent and ask the Father to heal your heart and to heal theirs. If you fear change in your heart, church, be mindful because that is what you are imparting to your own. If you resist the change that the Father wants to bring, your children will resist the change. As you accept the things of God, they will embrace it double what you do. If you show your children, grow up with the heart of flesh, your kids will live with their heart in their hand. They will wear their heart on their sleeve. We don't have to fear what we're facing when we know who we're trusting in church. And I, I love this. This is something that I've lived by for these last four or five months. <laughs> man will always be man. But God will always be God. There isn't anything that God can't or will not be able to overcome. Man will have his limits. We have our limits. Man will always be man. But God will always be God. When we read scripture, we see that God is famous for healing. We see God is famous for restoring. We see that God is famous for freedom, for redeeming, for saving, for overcoming death, for restoring broken marriages, for everything that we've experienced. That is the God in which we know to be famous for these things. And that is the God that we as a church, that we as individual people need to start living like that the God that is famous for doing the impossible is also now working the impossible in you and I but we have to have our heart completely changed we need a heart check we need a moment in which our heart finally gets pierced and shattered 
And I, I love, I'm a big Charles Spurgeon fan. If you don't know who that is, look him up. He's amazing. I wish he was alive. But he said, he said this. A time, and he didn't live in our era. He lived hundreds of years ago. No, not hundreds. 1800s. I guess 100 years ago, a couple hundred years ago. He said this. A time will come when in, instead of shepherds feeding sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining goats. He lived in the 1800s, and he knew that the current trend of the church was going towards entertainment, not going towards father and son-daughter relationships. Church, I tell you again, the father wants sons and daughters. The devil wants clowns. If you are still resisting your heart to be changed, maybe the circus is calling. But he's not calling you. The circus is not calling you. The Father calls you today. I want us to stand to our feet today as we pray and close. Because today is the day to celebrate. We are celebrating today. What's the occasion? Well, for starters, we're loved by heaven, embraced by the Almighty, chosen by Papa. And our church turned 17. 17 years old. I want you to hug somebody. Just hug somebody. Anyone you want, just hug somebody. Please leave, leave nobody unhugged. If you are standing by yourself, find someone to hug. There's somebody that needs a hug over here, Mauricio. Someone, somebody hug Jorge over here. Come in, just come into a family. Just hug somebody. It's all right. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. Why do I want you to hug? I want you to serve as father's embrace to that person today. Embrace them as if they were your own. Hug them as if they were the only person on the planet right now that mattered to you. And we'll pray, and I want you to pray over them. As you, as you hug them, in the same way that the father hugs you, you function as the father this morning. You function as Papa this, this morning and in this moment. And I'm going to pray, and we're going to listen to the voice of the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for your love. We embrace those around us right now. Physically, we just grab hold of them. I want to represent you and your arms to this person that I'm hugging right now. And if you're listening in your car, if you're watching through YouTube and you have someone to hold, hold on to them. If you need to park your car, park it and hold on to yourself. Right now, Lord, we embrace in representation of your embrace. And, I, and we hold on, Father, and we pray and ask, change our heart. Check our heart. Show us, Father, what area we need to fully surrender and trust you in. Show us where we're still prideful and arrogant, thinking we can do better. 
than everybody else. Show us, Lord, where we're still afraid to trust you. Show us where we're, where we're still doubting that you can do it. And as we hold this person, I pray over them right now that the love of Papa will come and fill the fear and flush it out because where perfect love abides, there can be no fear. Fear gets casted out when Papa's love is filling up. And in this morning, as we're laying our arms around them, Lord, would your love just flow inside of them? Where there was doubt, let there be faith. Where there was fear, let there be conviction that you are able to do exceedingly and abundantly. Not if, not maybe. It is a guarantee that when we trust in the Almighty Father, there is nothing that the enemy can do to overcome because Father sent His Son to overcome the devil's greatest weapon, which was death. And death has been defeated and Christ rose up and now we get to sit in the same chair of sonhood, sonship, and daughterhood as Jesus. Flow, love of the Father, into them right now in this moment when they go home in monday when they wake up in tuesday when they go to bed every single moment father remind us of the flow going in of father's love and the fear being casted out we cover their hearts in the love of papa we cover their hearts in your love we cover their mind in your love. And we say we trust you. We love you. And we want to embrace you, Papa, with a transformed heart. In the name of Jesus, the joyful church says amen and amen. Give the Lord praise this morning, church, as we finish.